So my name is Eric, and um, I'm one of the pastors here. And as Dan said, we've been, we've been talking about uh, psalms and prayer and how it speaks to what we're just calling the grind, the things of our lives that we encounter every day that just, that just rub on us and, and, and grind us down and challenge us. And last week, we looked at the first 12 verses of Psalm 139, and we talked about the grind of, of insignificance. And some of us struggle with that feeling deep down in our hearts. If we were honest with, with one another, we would say, I struggle with the feeling deep down in my heart of, do I matter? Um, am I significant? Am I worthy of attention? And we just walked through some of the verses of, of Psalm 139 and, and some other scriptures that just says that uh, it's a foundational truth of our lives that, that we are worthy of God's attention. And um, that song even mentioned that before you were born, you were a thought in God's mind. And when God had that thought, he smiled, I believe. When he had that thought of you. And our most foundational identity because of that is uh, a phrase that I, I shared with you guys last week. Maybe you remember it. It's the beloved. That that's the most foundational identity that we can have is the beloved sons and daughters of God. And to the degree that you can, uh, I believe this with all my heart, to, that to the degree that you can claim that belovedness and live into it, man, it will revolutionize your world and it will address those gnawing thoughts that we have. And today, what we're gonna do is, is look at the last half of Psalm 139 and we're gonna move into this topic of insecurity. And so what I wanna do is, is just invite you to go there in your Bible if you haven't already. We're gonna start in verse 13 and we're just gonna make a few comments on the, on the text, and we're going to make a few comments on just the principle of insecurity as we go to communion this morning. So um, let's start off with this text. The psalmist David continues to write, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb, and you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So David just continues in this theme of, of how well God knows us, and he simply lays out the, the premise and the idea that, that in the secret of, of a woman's womb, even as, uh, even as the, the parts of a human body, a human fetus are coming together, God is aware of us. We are not strangers to him, even as uh, we are being knitted together in the womb. He goes on to this, he says, how precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. Let me just think about that. That God has, because there's a God of, of, of infiniteness, it's not too big of a leap to say that he has infinite thoughts about you. And again, 
I believe that when he has those thoughts, he smiles. Just sit with that for a second. This God that we seek, this God that we believe is, is, is powerful and is all creating has infinite thoughts about you. I don't know what that does to you, but that makes me pause for just a second. He says, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you're still with me. And then the psalm takes a shift. And it kind of comes out of nowhere. It's really abrupt as you're reading it. Verse 19, oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred for your enemies are my enemies. And I think what, the way I read these verses uh, is, is that this is expressing David's heart to align himself completely with God to see the world the way God sees the world and, and to acknowledge that there are people out there who have, uh, who have no agenda to seek God's kingdom. But I think uh, where we need to just, a word of caution here, the way this was put to me once is we read these verses and there's a part of us that wants to uh, embrace that and go, yeah, man, well, if God needs somebody to hate, you know, hate his enemies, sign me up for that, you know, and some of us are very activistic, right? I and mean, if, if, if there's something that God wants to do, wants, that we want to sign up for that. But I had a teacher in, in seminary, uh, and actually it was a class on the Psalms, and he said, what we need to constantly ask ourselves is, when we read texts like this, we need to honestly appraise, are we the type of people that could honestly pray this prayer. So a lot of us in our minds are really easy to say, man, I'll, I'll take up whatever you want me to take up, God, and I will you know, hate your enemies, God, but if we're honest, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, you know what, but I'm not sure that I can conduct myself like God could conduct himself with the amount of restraint and the amount of peace and the amount of justice that's required to, to be in God's army, so to speak, right? So when you read a text like this in the Psalms that talks about hating God's enemies, ask yourself, oh wait, am I the type of person that could pray this prayer? Or am I a little bit too given to anger? Am I a little bit too given to uh, rage even? So then he ends, and this is, where, uh, this is where something really interesting comes up. Search me, O God, verse 23, and know my heart. Again, the theme continues. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So he's just asking God to search him, but then uh, the way the, the, the text is translated Know my anxious thoughts. And you would think that if, if David really believed everything that he had just laid out in that psalm, he wouldn't have any anxious thoughts because he would know, look, God, you've known me from before I was born. You have an infinite number of thoughts about me. And yet somehow, because David is so 
utterly human and honest. He says, you know what? I still have anxious thoughts. And I think uh, I can understand that because I can talk about being the beloved of God. I can try to live in that truth every day. I can know that Jesus uh, controls my present, is, is infinitely present with me, and my, my future is secure because of that. And yet I have moments, maybe you do too, where I have anxiety where I am insecure. Maybe I'm the only one, maybe not. So again, to lay this out, last week, the first 12 verses of Psalm 135 looked at the grind of insignificance. And significance is just, a, is, is just the matter of, am I worthy of attention? Do I matter? And today, we're going to look just really briefly uh, at the other part of grind of insecurity, which to, to my mind answers the question of, am I safe? You know, Dan mentioned that, that there's lots of ways to be insecure. We can, we can be insecure in our vocation, but for me, maybe it's again just where uh, the state of the world is at. I went to sort of the biggest questions of security. You know, looking around and going, man, uh, the world is crazy right now. And I see in all of my, so many of my friends, and I see in myself the way we react to the craziness of the world. And it is, if I had to be really honest, I would say um, it is causing me to react, to, the, to react with insecurity. And what would it mean to, to experience the world in all the ups and downs of the world, but to also have a godly amount of security in that. Anybody else feel that? Anybody else look at the world, and if you're really, really honest, you would say, man, I feel really insecure about the state of things right now. You can look all the way to the Middle East. You can look at uncertainty in Europe. You can look at home. You can look maybe in your house. And you can look and you say, man, there are all manner of things right now that are shaking me to the foundation. And what does it mean to maybe look for security that is given by God. And, and I want to walk you through just a couple of thoughts. But before I, I do this, you know, last week we talked about, I kind of brought in, brought in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. Anybody can listen to that this week? I, I listened to it again. I went to an event at uh, Christ Classical Academy on Thursday morning and they sang it. And, and uh, did you even notice that, Megan? No, thanks. Okay. So uh, it was Beethoven's Ninth. And, and I just kept thinking about music and culture. And so I think in 1969, uh, the world was crazy then too. Hate to break, hate to, we don't have a monopoly on crazy in the 21st century. And I think it was 1969, uh, a group kind of penned a great song that addresses this. So we're going to watch this video. Yes, uh-oh. You know the song? Move it out, keep moving in because of the color of the skin. Run, 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 run,
What's the, what's, what's the track? Ball of Confusion. Who's the band? The Temptations. Come on, people. We're going to have some musical education this morning. I thought about having the band play the song, but I'm like, I'm sorry, but you guys have not enough soul or funkiness for that track. And then I asked, then I thought about having them wear those orange suits. I should have done that. So for, for, for those of you who don't know uh, the lyrics, just listen, you know, people moving out, people moving in. Why? Because of the color of their skin. Run, 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 but you sure can't hide. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Vote for me and I'll set you free. Rap on, brother. Rap on. Well, the only person talking about love thy brother is the preacher, and it seems that nobody is interested in learning but the teacher. Segregation, determination, demonstration, integration, aggravation, humiliation, obligation to our nation, ball of confusion. That sound like today, too? Oh, and by the way, this is the only song in musical history that I've ever heard actually use the phrase, great kugaluga, can you hear me talking to you? <laughs> Ball of confusion. But, uh, so, but there's another track that I stumbled across. Like, I, I just started thinking about all this music this week that addresses insecurity. Artists kind of just react to this. They have a finger on their pulse, I think, of, of, our, of countries and, and, and culture. So listen to this track from the band The National. That track is called Afraid of Everyone, and it was written after uh, the singer had a, a father. You should know that the National is famous for like not publishing their lyrics, and so there's always guessing games about what they're actually saying, but what, what we've best been able to assemble is that the, the lyric goes, Venom Radio, Venom Television, I'm Afraid of Everyone. And it gets at the idea that all of our media just spews venom from each side of the track. And, and, and cultivates fear. It says, uh, lay the young blue bodies with the red bodies. And, and it's talking about, you know, the, I think the political polarization in our country. And then again, I'm afraid of everyone. I'm afraid of everyone. Then he references his status as a new father. With my kid on my shoulders, I try not to hurt anybody I like. And then uh, he says, I don't have the drugs to sort it out. And we think that's some kind of reference, not, not to... Uh, his use of drugs, but to actually like sort of a medical thing, like how can I protect my children from you know, all the medical uncertainty? So uh, music and, and media just really, really get at this idea of insecurity in our lives. And, and I want to just um, 
look at two, at least two responses. There's at least two responses to, uh, to respond to insecurity in our lives. And I want to look at just two that um, really spoke to me this week in the Bible. I want to I ask you if you have your Bible and you want to turn to um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This was written by a guy named Paul. And uh, he writes this in verse 3. Uh, when people are saying that everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. This is kind of an odd a little statement in this verse. Paul writes a lot about the resurrection to the Thessalonians and a lot about what the end of time is kind of gonna look like. But I wanna walk you through what he's getting at, I believe, in verse three. And I want to start off by showing you a couple pictures of United States currency, coins. So first, I think we have an image of a quarter. Now, um, countries and economies tend to put slogans on their coins. They always have. They, they probably always will. So uh, a quarter says, in God we trust, and then um, e pluribus unum. Anybody know what e pluribus unum means? Out of many, one, which is a good thing for us to remember in this day and age. Nichols, the same thing. In God we trust, and e pluribus unum. So uh, countries and nationalities, they put slogans on their coins to represent what matters to them, what, what uh, the values of those countries are. Let me show you a couple Roman coins from the first few centuries of the Common Era. Um, the left image is the head, you know, Caesar, uh, it says. And then on the, the tail end, you can make out P-A-X, Pax. You know what Pax is in Latin? Peace, okay? Uh, let me show you another coin. A different emperor, different, uh, slightly different time frame. But on the tail side of this, uh, starting in the lower left, there should be an, there would be an S there, and it says Securitas which means security. So what, what scholars be, are, are, are believing that Paul's saying here is that the Roman Empire, which is when the church is growing, is in the midst of the Roman Empire, that the Roman Empire had at least the unofficial slogans of peace and security. And so what the Roman Empire offered to everybody as they spread and as they expanded and even as they were at home in Rome and say, look, here's what the Roman Empire is going to offer you. Peace and security. And so one of the ways that we can seek security is through the empires of our world. We can seek it through uh, the United States. That's not one of our slogans, but it's very, very easy for us to say, look, our military might, our economy, our culture will keep me safe, right? Or you can seek this in any other manner of any other empire you wish to, to look at in your world. What keeps you safe at night? What keeps the boogeyman from coming out of the closet at night? But Paul says uh, what he's getting at in chapter five, verse three of Thessalonians, he says, look, the Roman Empire is going to proclaim everything's gonna be okay. We will give you peace and security. But Paul says, that's not gonna protect you. There is a deeper, deeper offer of security that we can 
have. Um, a couple ways that media, again, or you can encounter this in culture. I love this quote from the movie Hellboy, which is a fun movie. Uh, the, the division of the FBI that Hellboy's associated with, he says, there are things that go bump in the night and we bump back. I love that quote, you know? And I think it even gets at to some of uh, the way we would look at our armed forces or some of our intelligence forces. Look, there are bad things out there, bad guys out there, and when they push on us, we want them to push back, right? And then probably most famously and most brilliantly, this desire for where we seek security from is encapsulated in one of the most amazing film uh, passages, and um, I want to have the honor of reading this text to you this morning. So you might know what movie this comes from. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you, than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather that you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suppose you pick up, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand the post. Either way, I don't give up what you think you're entitled to. Anybody know that movie? No, you know, even though that was great fun. That's such amazing. And it's amazing. And I think this is not to say that that's not uh, true and it's not honorable, right? But as people of faith and as people of, I dare say, King Jesus, that peace and security only goes so far. And ultimately, it does not grant us the peace and security that we so desperately desire. Some of us sitting in this room right now uh, would say, I feel very insecure. Maybe because of something, you know, maybe because of a news headline, maybe it's something that's happening in your life right now. And Jack Nicholson only goes so far into getting us to that peace and security that we so desperately desire. So what does Jesus say? Well, Jesus, as typical of him, really cuts it, uh, cuts it to, the, to, the, to the chase, so to speak. Um, and this is where these two weeks are, are, are tied together. Because I want to suggest to you that the truth of our belovedness significantly addresses the fear and the anxiety that we tend to have. If we live out of our belovedness, we will find that that belovedness is intrinsically related to our desire to, for safety and security. That's what I believe. 
So Jesus says this in, in John chapter 14. Maybe you guys have heard this. He tells his disciples, look, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Now, just keep that uh, scripture up for just a moment. In the Gospel of John, whenever Jesus says the world, it is not the created world. It is not just the culture. Uh, The world in the Gospel of John represents the typical way that we do things in terms of domination and culture or in, in domination and power, um, greed. And Jesus says, look, the peace that I'm giving to you cannot be given to you that way. It's pretty crystal clear. But here's the other thing that Jesus says. He says, I'm giving you this peace of mind and heart. I'm giving it to you. And he says that not conditionally. I'm giving it to you when you die. I'm giving it to you if you're a good enough person. It is simply this. Jesus says, I'm giving it to you. He's already done it. Where we stumble is we fail to live in it. It's not that the peace does not exist. It is that sometimes we don't know how to access it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Do you believe that Jesus has given you this peace of mind and heart? It's our responsibility to live into this. And as we go uh, to communion, I want to give you two just very, I want to bring this down to very, very practical things. And understand me, like the practical things are not the sexy things, right? Don't expect the lightning bolt to come out of the ceiling about anything I'm going to say right now. Because I believe that the truth of our spirituality looks a lot just like this. It looks a lot like everyday life. So maybe you'll be struck by some kind of lightning bolt that'll give you the peace that Jesus offers you. I dare say probably not. It has to be cultivated. And like a farmer works in his field every day, cultivation ain't always sexy. It's dirty. And it requires a lot of this. Moving dirt around. Watering it. So, Here's the first thing I want to suggest that you do. And it's been alluded to a couple times. My wife, um, my wife, uh, Shana, if you guys know her, like she has struggled with uh, off and on with anxiety throughout most of her life, most of our married life especially. And it's been better in seasons and worse in seasons. And when it was bad for her, one of the things that she would ask me to do is to read this psalm to her. Because the idea of of just being known by God and being said yes to by God helped helped that feeling just go down a little bit. And so the first thing I want to suggest to you that if you looked around and you say, look, I have anxious thoughts. 
put in the, the, the phrase of the Psalms. I would offer you the suggestion of making it a discipline to read this Psalm to yourself out loud. If you have somebody in your life that you trust and that you're in relationship with, maybe ask them to do it because just hearing the words come to you makes a difference. Oh Lord. In fact, I don't know how many people here might be struggling this morning with insecurity. If you are, just read, just close your eyes and hear these words. Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you to the night To you, the night shines as bright as day and darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Maybe one of the ways that you can lessen the feeling of insecurity in your life is to soak in this scripture. To just read it, live it. Let the words uh, just be this prayer washing over you, as Dan said. Claim, Claim the discipline of reading this. The other way to to live into the peace that Jesus offers us is to simply live into the present moment that God has given us. You see, uh, the address of fear is the future. Because we start thinking of what could happen, what all could go wrong, What all uh, could just go over the cliff? Last time I checked, I have no control over the future. But the more that I try to dwell in the future, 
I find the higher my anxiety level goes up. One of my uh, mentors, uh, I went to see him one day, and I was suffering from a a panic attack. I'll just be honest. I've never suffered from panic attacks until maybe about four years ago. Had my first one in in the Publix down in Southwood. And I was like, I don't, what's happening? What's happening? And kind of feel, am I having a heart attack? You know, call my, and, and I think I may have even called uh, Pastor Mark or something. He said, it sounds like you're having a panic attack. And so I know this reality. And I was having uh, kind of an anxiety attack and went to see my spiritual mentor. And he just said, and he said this, he said, what's going on right now? And I said, oh, I'm freaking out. And he said, no, 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 no. What's going on right now? He said, are you safe right now? And, and he, just, he just talked me through this of coming further and further into the moment. And he said, right now, Eric, you're sitting with me and you're not being threatened and nothing bad is happening. So I want to ask you, what's happening right now? Right now, you and I are in a room. The presence of God, I believe, is here. He's calling out to all of us, saying, you are all the beloved children. You are safe in this moment. And if you're safe in this moment, well, then you can be safe in the next moment. And if you do this long enough, you string together a lot of moments. And when you string together enough moments, you start to have this thing called faith. You see, I believe that if God has said yes to my past, if I'm the beloved and he says yes to my past and he says yes to me in the moment, then I can actually say he says yes to me in the future and I can begin to surrender that future to him. Even even the ultimate things of the future. I told you guys last week, you know, I spent a few days up at the monastery outside of Atlanta and and, uh, they have a bookstore there and, and I was hanging out in the bookstore and a woman came in who was suffering. She's just gotten some bad news. And one of the monks sat down with her, and she was not Catholic, but he was there, and she needed help. And I just sat and listened to him. And I think it was a medic, some medical news that she had gotten. And I, this man was probably, this, this brother, monastic, was probably 10 years, maybe 15 years older than me. And he looked at her, and, and she was talking about medical concerns. And he said, and he said I'm not afraid to die. And it struck me about how, how, um, how little I ever hear that in my culture. Because this, this man had surrendered his future to God. He said, I'm not afraid. And I want to leave you with this quote um, from this man named Henry Nowen, who actually wrote The Life of the Beloved. Struck me uh, this week. Nowen says this. Let me just, hear, let me just read this to you. Am I afraid to die? I am 
Every time I let myself be seduced by the noisy voices of the world telling me that my little life is all I have and advising me to cling to it with all my might. But when I let these voices move to the background of my life and listen to that small, soft voice calling me the beloved, I know that there's nothing to fear and that dying is the greatest act of love, the act that leads me into the eternal embrace of my God whose love is everlasting. That's what ultimate security looks like. Not the peace and security of our strong armies or our strong economies or our strong families. It looks like living into our belovedness of Jesus. So as we, uh, as we rest here in this moment, I invite you to listen to the small voice of your Father in heaven calling you his beloved.